Hey, this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered, focused, decisive action and inspired outcome. Obstacles can be the training ground for even greater success. So, our spotlight is on personal and professional entrepreneur reinvention and client attraction with my guest, Sandy Chiselle. He's a speaker, sales trainer, author, and coach, and he spent 15 years as a practicing attorney serving as a rainmaker for his own successful law firm, and he discovered he loved and had the knack of winning the hearts and the minds of clients, but he was unhappy with a career of doing the legal work that his marketing efforts produced. In 1992, he began a battle with colon cancer, and the complications from treatment left him totally disabled for over a year. When he realized he was going to recover, he started to dream of a career that would bring him joy and fulfillment. And today, he's living that dream. For more than 12 years, Sandy's been a coach and training professionals and entrepreneurs to grow their practices and businesses and helping them with strategies to help them get more clients and better clients and to develop support systems to keep those clients loyal. Striving to recognize and overcome the fears that rendered him too paralyzed to go after his own dreams became the inspiration for Sandy's first book, The High Diving Board, How to Overcome Your Fears and Live Your Dreams, and his newest book, Become a Client Magnet, 27 Strategies to Boost Your Client Attraction Factor. You can reach Sandy Chiselle at sandychiselle.com. That's S-A-N-D-Y. S-C-H-U-S-S-E-L dot com. This is my part one of my interview with him. Enjoy. I'm doing great, Brina Marie. Thank you for having me. You know, I was really looking forward to this, I think maybe for three reasons. First, you and I have known each other for several years, and I think your story is awesome. Somebody should be interviewing you. Uh, secondly, uh, you've had some of my favorite people on the program, and I'm kind of honored to be included with them. And finally, I do a lot of these interviews, and listening to some of your previous ones, I can tell that this is going to be fun, so ask me anything you like. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I admire your work also, and I wanted to have you on the show because our theme for tonight is personal and business reinvention and client attractions, and I didn't know uh, anybody who could really talk as much about it as you, since that's oh something we yeah. to do. <laughs> we try <laughs> I mean, to get people that fit the topic. Yep, that's me. Uh, you know, um, it fits in with both of my books. You know, the first is reinventing yourself, and the second is now how do you attract clients to your business. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm ready. We We can talk about any of those subjects. Where are you from? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but I'm actually, most of my life I've spent in uh, the state of New Jersey. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. And I wanted to know what it was like. What were your aspirations early on as a young man? What would you uh, say, Sandy Chassel, stood for at that time? And what did you see in the world when you first started college and, you know, whatnot? What did you want to do? I got bitten by the acting bug. Somebody told me I had a nice voice. Uh, I was okay looking, I guess. And, uh, you know, you ought to be singing and acting and performing all of that stuff. 
And um, so right uh, through high school, I gave up uh, track and started to be in the phase. Uh, and then uh, when I got to college, uh, that's pretty much what I focused on right up until uh right up until basically I graduated college and went to New York where they were going to discover me and I was going to be a star. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. What was it like in your presentation? Because uh, in any type of field, you have to know how to present yourself well. So you at least got, you know, that bug uh, in your system to get out before people. What was that like? Well, you know, it was one of those things where I knew that maybe I wasn't the best at sports, um, but but I also knew that I was really good at that. Uh, I could stand in front of people. I wasn't afraid to stand in front of people and perform. I think I was more terrified being one-on-one with somebody than I was in front of 500 people. Wow. And and so it, it seemed like a natural thing for me to want to do until the reality of it hit me, which is I was in New York and I was starving, and uh, that's when I started to look around and say, well, maybe this isn't the best thing for me to be doing, and maybe I don't really believe enough in myself to be doing it. Wow. What did you do, and what was that turning point? A friend said to me, you know, let's get real. You've been trying this. It's not working. Uh, Why don't, if you couldn't do this, what would you want to do? And I said, you know, the only thing I really see myself doing is they used to have lawyers programs. I mean, they still have lawyers programs, but there were one or two that I was really interested in. And so I said, I could see myself as being one of the lawyers on that program. And she said to me, well, why don't you become a real lawyer? I mean, you have the educational background for it. You could just go to law school and be a lawyer. And I said, ah, I'd be doing that for my dad. I wouldn't be doing that for me. And she said, well, I, I'm sure he would like to see you do something like that, too, but um, it would be for you. Why don't we do this? Why don't we agree that if you don't get one real gig, either music or performing or acting, um, that uh, you, you will, you'll go to law school, so you'll apply and you'll do all the things you have to. And if you do, we'll never talk about law school again. <laughs> and wow. that's how I ended up in law school. Hmm. And what was your uh, area of concentration in law school? Well, I don't know if they do it now. I'm thinking they don't because I work with enough lawyers that uh, you don't really pick an area of concentration. And the fact of the matter is that's pretty much what was wrong with the law career that I had after that. Mm -hmm. If you go in and you know exactly what you want and, and you, learn everything you have to learn because you have to learn the other subjects too but then you focus on that and you look for firms that do that I think that there are happier lawyers doing that than the ones that came out and said well you know I'll go wherever they hire me Mm -hmm. and I didn't really have a concentration one thing that was clear though um, I didn't really even know there were lawyers who did paperwork only I always believed that they were all going to court, and one of the things I learned was, no, not all lawyers go to court. Most lawyers don't even want to go to court. And so for me, it was, well, I was trading the acting career to go be one of those lawyers that went to the courtroom. And that's what I pictured myself doing. 
You mentioned your father. Was he an attorney? No, he never finished college. The fact that I finished college, I went to a, what he considered to be a good school. And and what, what a wonderful thing if his son could go on and become some professional. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it was really about my thinking, well, I'd be doing it for him and not for me. But the idea of going to do that so that I could become a real lawyer who went to court seemed like that was going to be uh, an adventure, something I could be passionate about, something that would make me joyful, something that would fulfill me. And so I, I attacked law school like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. walked away from theater where you couldn't see the steps, you couldn't see where um, uh, where your success was going to be. I knew that I wouldn't be hungry if I went to law school. Wow. So you graduate, and now you've moved into your career. And from what I'm understanding, you had a very successful firm. Something along the way happened, and. You didn't find that happiness after a while. What yeah, happened you there? Know, that in the beginning, uh, Sabrina Marie, it was um, it was pretty much what I thought it would be. I was working for a judge, and then I went to work for a firm that did trial work, and uh, it seemed like, wow, you know, I'm doing what I want. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there was that love-hate relationship that people have. They hate attorneys, but they love their attorney. And so, and, mm-hmm. and I was really, I was really enjoying it. And then it started to be that instead of being something that was about adventure and passion, it started to be, uh, constant, uh, paperwork and unhappy people and unhappy attorneys and unhappy judges and um, being responsible for uh, creating happiness where you weren't the one that caused it to disappear. And it started to take a toll on me. It was like I got on a roller coaster mm-hmm. and uh, I started the roller coaster right and it was great. And I went around the first year and I went around the second year and I went around the third year. And then all of a sudden I said, well, you know, I'd like to get off now. Wow. And whoever was holding the lever said, sorry, you never get off. And it started to go faster and faster. And I said, but but I really want to get off. And I couldn't. Wow. You couldn't get off that roller coaster. And the interesting thing is this is something, a practice in law, something you actually wanted. Well, and, yeah, uh, you, you know, sometimes... I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I did. You're right. I, I, You know, I believed I wanted it. Uh, but there were a lot of things going on. The five minutes that you spent in court compared with the hundreds of hours behind it that you weren't in court mm-hmm. and you were negotiating with nasty, unhappy people. And I'm not saying lawyers are nasty. I have a lot of clients who are great lawyers, you know, great clients who are lawyers. Um, but, but my view of the world then was this is miserable. I have to go through all this misery for the few minutes that I'm going to have the fun of being in court. Mm-hmm. And it's not that everybody feels it's miserable, but for me, it was, I was in the wrong place. It was like all of a sudden I was in in uh, always on the battlefield and I didn't want to be a soldier anymore. Oh, wow. Wow. I know a lot of pressure and stress can uh, 
really make you uh, unhappy, and then it can take its toll physically. What happened? Well, it's I went on for years not changing, and at the time I didn't understand that the reason I wasn't changing was just plain old garden variety fear. I was afraid to start over. I was afraid to lose the income. I was making very good money. Uh, I was afraid, you know, what, what would I do? You know, I've got uh, a big home and a family and, and t- the two cars and, you know, what would I do? How would I do that? And so I stayed at it until I believe that I got physically sick from the stress of doing something that I didn't want to do day after day for, and I'm not just talking about, you know, a few hours a day. I'm talking about getting up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning and finishing up uh, after midnight at some uh, some municipal board or, or, or a courtroom. And um, uh, it reached a point where I found out that I had colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um but even before it reached that point i actually tried to move 50 miles away from the office uh to princeton new jersey mm-hmm. where um i would have to drive so long that maybe i would force myself out of doing that work well wow. and then they told me you're sick now i know that even happy well adjusted people get sick mm-hmm. uh you know get cancer it, but but i do believe that if there are three basic factors, heredity, environment, uh, and your immune system, my immune system took a look down the road and said, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, and this is horrible. You might as well end it now. Yeah, I read that in your book, in the High Diving Board, and uh, one of the things that sticks out to me, you said you hated doing what you were doing, but you had no idea what to do, and you looked down the road and all you could see were Hours and weeks of adventureless, joyless, passionless, unfulfilling work followed by death. What's the point? Wow. (laughs) And, and I mean, if that's really the way you're thinking, and, and I mean, you're an expert on this, so you know, if that's the way you're thinking, how can your body not react to that? Right. And so there I was, uh, and I mean, there were so many signs. I mean, I had symptoms that I was sick, that I was ignoring, and almost ignored them too long. Um, that 50-mile trip from the central part of New Jersey to the northern part of New Jersey, um, it happened that on a um, uh, on December 31st of 1991, I was taking my two daughters up to see their old babysitter in my wife's car, and because the car seemed to be cold and I didn't know where the heater was, I looked around for the heater, drifted off the road, and flipped over and over and over in the median at 65 miles an hour, uh, and we lived through that. Mm-hmm. So when the dust cleared, uh, and I don't mean to make a pun out of it, but, but um, after living through that and seeing that we all came out with relatively small injuries, uh, I said, you know, whatever these symptoms are, I ought to just go get them checked out. It can't be that. If I live through this, it can't be that bad. And that's how they discovered the cancer. And that led to a year of surgeries and chemo and radiation and, you know, and um, 
things that uh, I, you know, sometimes I don't even want to talk about or think about. Uh, but uh, during that year, everything unraveled. Uh, I had no income because I was too sick to work. My weight dropped uh, from a healthy 155 pounds to 112 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I literally had to be held up when I took a walk around the block. I couldn't go too far from home. Uh, and clients that loved me, I mean, despite the fact I hated what I was doing, um, they told me I did a, a great job. Uh, the clients who loved me said, you know, I can't wait for you. I have to get help. And, of course, once they go, uh, they um, they go for good for the most part. Uh, yeah, and I so was wondering I, about that. Um, yeah. Stop at that point because you went through um, something physical. You went through the depletion and almost the ending of your life. Yes. And uh, there are lessons I know that you, you learn in illness, there's just no way you can go back to being the same, even if you are healed. And yeah. when I say healed, people say, oh, I've been cured. Yes and no. And I wanted to bring that out in this segment because you're never the same after that. Even if you pull through, there are a lot of lessons you learn along the way, and you're looking at things differently. Tell us about that part. Well, that's that's for sure. And you know, the interesting thing is you would think when I found out in 19, at the end of 1992, I started to gain weight. They weren't finding any recurrences. Uh, I was healing from the second surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to have an easier time getting around. And you would think that I'd be elated, that I would look at the world and be so excited to be alive that I'd be out there, you know, just, just uh, singing for joy, and instead I was more depressed than ever because all I could focus on was uh, I had no money, uh, I had uh, no more clients, I'd be starting the law practice all over again, uh, and uh, you would think that, you know, I, the, the lessons would be, you know, this, this is great, you're getting a second chance, and it wasn't that way at all for almost five years. It wasn't mm-hmm. that way. Because you'd and, gone through the physical. You'd gone through all the bouts of the weight loss and then the chemo and the radiation. And in one part in the book, you mentioned about uh, leaving, you know, people who you would return to the hospital and they wouldn't be there. That yeah, can't help well, but affect your outlook on not only yourself, but your family and your future. Oh, without a doubt. I, the first time was surgery cancer, and the roommate I had was a guy, you know, at that age, 41, I was young uh, for, the, you know, for colon cancer, but there was a 29-year-old in the room uh, who was going through the same thing, and he didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And so you, you would think, uh, oh, my gosh, you know, I made it. Uh, isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Or shouldn't I be elated? And then the second time there were major complications that required a uh, surgery that I think was a lot more extensive than the first one. And when I was done with that surgery, I was in the room with somebody who was not going to be going home. Mm-hmm. And I just said, please get me out of here. I, you know, please, you know, I, I need to be out of here. I need to be somewhere where I feel safe. And uh, there wasn't any place safe at that time. 
But something did happen where I started to look and understand the gift that I had been given. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's weird to be calling that a gift because it's hard to still imagine it that way. Oh, I can but, relate. <laughs> I know. I can, I can relate. And many people who haven't gone through, they, they can't relate. But you, I can relate to what you're saying uh, a whole lot in that you do get a gift. Uh, you, you know, you don't see it at the time you're going through the nightmare. But uh, there is a silver lining in there. Tell us yeah. about that. And And so I don't know when exactly it was. Uh, but someone had recommended that I read uh, some books because I was stuck. I was rebuilding a law practice I hated. Uh, I uh, was afraid still to change, even though I had, I mean, I had survived near-death experiences. You would think, what would I be afraid of now? I was afraid still to change, and I still didn't recognize it as fear. Uh, but I st- someone gave me... Um, a couple of uh, good books to read on my situation and all of a sudden I started to recognize you know it doesn't matter how long you live it's how you live while you're here mm-hmm. and uh that recognition got me back on my feet and starting to look for what I really wanted to do and that's how I started to transition out of practice law and into something that for me was the right thing to be doing. In those lessons that you learned came your first book, The High Diving Board, and it contains a lot of the lessons that uh, you experienced, and uh, I wanted you to try to share some of those lessons with us. Yeah, okay. Um, the the first thing I, I was... Um, with and I start the book with a story about being with my daughter when she's auditioning for a play, and it occurred to me that I, if this was all about fear, when I made that recognition that this was all about fear, it occurred to me that fear wasn't the problem. It's okay if you have fear. We all have fears of things. It's the question is. What's the response that you're giving to the fear? In my case, it was paralysis, not moving, not changing, not even believing that you knew what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I don't know, I can't think that, or it's too scary to think about it. And most people, when they say, yeah, I'd like to change, but I don't know what I want to do, mm-hmm. um, they know. They know there's a part of us that remembers that, you know, when we were when we were four years old, we were geniuses and and what we were geniuses at. They know, but Uh they can't even think about it. It's too scary to even go there. And I realized that, you know, it's okay if you have those feelings. um, But if your response is back away, it's not okay, back away. uh, That's a learned response. I mean, you put your hand on a hot stove, you learn to take it off. stepped in the street and your mother yelled at you and all those churning feelings inside, the fear feelings made you back away the next time you put your foot in the street. But as an adult, when it's about a career or a change of life or something that, uh, you know, you really want that you're not pursuing, it's, it's not okay to have those feelings. It's okay to be afraid, but you have to do it anyway. Right. And and part of the revelation there was that the back away response, the fight or flight response, the flight response was a learned response. Right. If you were in that situation, you learned 
don't do anything, back away from it, don't think about it, and that you could be reprogrammed, literally, you could relearn a better response, which is not that it's not okay back away, but it's okay to be afraid. But if this is something you really want, you just have to do it anyway. Well, many people, they hear that and they hear what you're saying, but because they've been conditioned through what mom, dad, teacher, society uh, have uh, told them, they do back away from their dream. They really do. They run in the opposite direction. How much of those voices from your past held you back? Wow, it's all about those voices. You know, I, I in the book, I call it the fear factor, and I came up with that phrase long before the TV show by the same name. <laughs> it, it was just like you get the, the butterflies in your stomach and the sweaty palms and your heart is pounding, and there's that little voice in your head. It's the, it, it the um, uh, Robinson family voice, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. <laughs> And, and you're, you're, it makes you back away. And those are all things that I took with me. And whether it was my mother's voice or my grandfather's, it didn't matter whose voice it was, but it was loud and it was screaming at me. You can't change. This is all you know. Changing is, and, and you know, here I am. I'm broke anyway. Uh, I could start anything I want and I'm still too afraid to move. And, uh, what a, what what a um, thing for that for me, but ju- I just imagine people who are healthy that haven't been through crisis. How could they possibly break away from it? So what it did was it drove me to look for ways to get away from it, and I started to see that there were steps that could be taken. The first one was to write down what I wanted. Okay. You know, not not filter it out, not try to uh, try to uh, pretend I don't have something I wanted. I knew I wanted to speak. I knew I wanted to write. I knew I, I, I knew I didn't know exactly how, but there were things that I knew I wanted. I knew that uh, I wanted to teach in a sense. Uh, you know, coaching was something that just kind of came as part of the package. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I wanted to do those things. Put it in writing. And then it was about, okay, let's write to myself that I'm committing to make a change in my life. And so step one was to put it in writing. And then step two was, okay, you had these dreams. You dreamt of being an actor. You dreamt of, of being out uh, in front of people performing. It took the form of being a lawyer, and that didn't turn out the way you thought it would. How about revisiting those dreams? And that became step two. Let's write that down, too. 